This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello, and welcome back to the e-commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled Marketing, and today I'm joined by John Maltman, who is the founder and CEO of digital shelf analytics platform, eFundamentals. John has built a successful 30-plus year corporate career with blue chip uh, FMCG, or as we say in the US, CPG companies, including Global Giants, Procter & Gamble, PepsiCo, and Asda Walmart complemented with leadership roles in high-growth B2B technology and services businesses before stepping into the world of startups. Frustrated by the industry's weak reaction to the enormous opportunities of e-commerce, John decided to apply his deep client-side knowledge to help brands win online, telling colleagues, the market needs it, it doesn't exist, so we'll create it. Welcome to the show, John. Hi, Kerry. Thanks for inviting me. So I've been in touch with the eFundamentals team for a while and we've been sharing content and seeing some of the work that you're you're putting out. And I was reading an ebook, which we'll link to in the show notes here, which was really interesting reading about the digital shelf analytics space. And one of the points made in, in this particular content was that no longer can category managers ignore the e-commerce teams. And that's something that I've noticed in my discussions with brands, especially when we're talking about players like Instacart, is that there was there's sort of been this divide between category managers and e-commerce. And partly due to the pandemic, everyone's trying to figure out how to play together. And so I'm curious to hear from, from your perspective and your background, what issues you've seen come to the surface around just organizational design and as a result of the shift to digital channel sales? Yeah, okay. I think one of the challenges that anybody working in building out an e-commerce business, whether you're a retailer or a brand, is how to make good returns from that business. And it just strikes me that category management is one of the roots of creating value that would help answer that question. And we haven't seen an awful lot of evidence of that coming to play yet. And if you think about a category manager and the levers they've got to to use to create value, they can get more people, drive penetration, to buy more, drive frequency and upsizing. And they can also encourage shoppers to buy higher value items, so premiumization. Now, the tools that they use to do that, things like launching new products, creating new usage occasions, associating with other categories, etc. All of that, in my view, should be easier to do online than perhaps in a physical store. So for me, bringing category management alive in your online presence, particularly in online retailers, is an absolute driver of value and something that should be a high priority. We see two things that are getting in the way. First of all, many companies have developed specialist e-commerce teams that are particularly focused on content and search. Now, being great at content and search is very, very important. That focus tends to be pretty much at the item or brand level and not really looking at the category perspective. The second thing is that when we talk to category managers, 
very few of them have even begun to think about the category playbook for online. And as we look at organizational design, we think there is a big role for specialist e-commerce teams, but increasingly they're going to be about developing best practice, setting strategy, and upskilling the rest of the organization. Now that'll include customer teams, brand marketing teams, category teams, and doing that is the only way to have the ability to execute at the sort of speed and scale that's going to be required to get competitive advantage in the world that we're now living in. So we think that that's the major change and the major impact for organizations is broadening out the e-commerce agenda to capture most of the front-facing functions within the business. Yeah, that's a really two things I want to double-click into there. One is I've noticed a lot of people in the e-commerce and digital role within their company very active on platforms like LinkedIn talking about best practices. And when I speak with them, they definitely feel the need, the obligation, the responsibility to be the thought leader in their organization and to be the evangelist for e-commerce. And there's a real sense of in some of the some of the communities that I'm in with digital execs and e-commerce practitioners, there's a real sense of like fighting the good fight, like we're sort of the crusaders preaching the good word to the rest of our organization that this is the way forward. And sometimes you feel like you're hitting a brick wall and sometimes you actually manage to cut through. So that's just an impression that I have of the e-commerce team taking that role on and being, like you said, being responsible for upskilling the rest of the organization. Yeah. The challenge they face is that they need to sort of almost normalize e-commerce. They need to strip away some of that mystery and some of that kind of professional language that can sometimes get surround e-commerce and help people to relate it back to their day-to-day jobs as brand managers, key account managers, revenue growth managers, category managers. And that's something we fundamentals have taken great care on. We try and use ideas that are already familiar to sales and marketing professionals rather than invent a whole new language. Because I think that sometimes creates unnecessary distance between the e-commerce team and the other teams within the, the business. And tell me what you mean when you say, and excuse me if I'm not using the right term here, but sure. you said something along the lines of brands might be good at search, but not good at managing the category. Let me give you an example. We'll just use search as an example, yeah? So many companies are spending a lot of time and effort answering the question, are our brands showing up in the key search terms? And that's a perfectly legitimate thing to do, and you have to be good at it, and you have to understand how to make that happen across a wide range of retailers. But if you then take a category lens, and let me use a category like coffee, for example. If you look at the coffee market on a cents per cup basis, you've got powder at the very bottom end of that, maybe two or three cents a cup. And then you've got granules, which is a little more expensive. And then you've got beans and capsules and sachets all the way through to pods. And by the time you get to pods, you may be talking about a dollar a cup. So it's very interesting to look at uh, the search results for, say, a search term like coffee across a range of retailers and see what they're projecting in terms of economy, regular, premium, and super premium. And what you'll find if you do that is there's a massive diversity. You've got some retailers who are very much projecting 
premium and super premium in the search results, others who are totally dominated by economy. For some of them, it's a deliberate strategy. For others, it's just the way their search engine works, and they haven't really figured it through how to how to tune it in a way that would get better results. So that's what I mean by taking a category perspective. Now, if you go to a retailer and show them that their shoppers are being faced by in search by a very different mix than in, say, a key competitor, that's an interesting discussion. They want right. to have that discussion. They want to explore the strategy. It's probably even a different mix than they're projecting in the physical store. And managing that and being part of that discussion is where brands can play a real leadership role in the way they often have tried to through category management. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for expanding on that. And so moving on that same point, how should brands think about their online and offline marketing budget as, well, you know, this divide historically between online and offline marketing budget, how should brands think about evolving that as shopping habits continue to shift online or we see a lot of retention of online shopping? Yeah, I think that brands need to start to thinking those as a joined budget. Different buckets for sure, but but they, they need to work together. I'd go even further. I think the money that's spent on trade promotion should be included in that calculation. The reason I think that that's the case is, is if you think about if I'm being highly effective in my social media marketing and I'm spending money in the right places in terms of sponsor search and banner placement, for example, then I should be able to tune my investment in trade spend. And I think we're in a world now where most CPGs, if you look at their total business, not just their e-commerce business, but their total business, they're experiencing relatively low rates of growth yet shareholders want better returns and productivity is going to be essential. And I think there's been a lot of attention on marketing productivity and I think that needs to get extended to include online investments, whether that's marketing investments or trade spend investments. I think you're going to see a lot more of that going forward. Hmm. That might be, is it your impression that that is something that you believe in that a lot of people don't (laughs) at this point in time? Yeah, is that an unpopular yeah, well, view? Well, it's not necessarily popular view, but one of the last things I did before we went into lockdown and travel bans was I attended a retailer conference convention in New York. And there was a lot of discussion amongst retailers about the opportunities to create new streams through digital media. It sounded like almost a free hit. And in many ways, in the beginning, it will be because people are keen to use those services. That said... If you look at folks like Amazon, for example, and Instacart and others, they are increasingly putting a focus on generating good returns through their media. And I think the most progressive retailers will start to think about themselves as selling marketing services, and they will understand that the money will flow to those marketing services that can demonstrate they're highly effective. So I think that the the ground on this is going to shift. I think Walmart's sort of very much moving towards that in that direction as far as I can see. And I think it's very welcome. So it's always controversial to say that the budgets in one bucket might be lower going forward if spend in other buckets is more effective. But we're all under tremendous pressure to get better productivity. And so I I see it as kind of inevitable. It might not be particularly popular, but I think it's inevitable. Yeah, it certainly did happen in 2020 when there was – really 
no way to spend some of that shopper marketing budget and it just by default got shifted into digital. So the proof is in the pudding, I guess. (laughs) On that same vein, what are you seeing amongst your clients and certainly within your toolkit as the best way to measure success across retailers and retail media platforms? I think you need a a kind of balanced scorecard to it, but the foundation for me would be return on investment. I think that it's really important to not just buy the tools that can do the analytics, but establish the ways of working that allow people to make better decisions, deploy more effectively, more efficiently, and therefore generate higher rates of return. And if you think about online in particular, a lot of that return is going to come from being seen in the right places, but also actively managing mix. And by that, I mean brand mix, pack mix, and promotion mix to be able to generate a profitable, sustainable business. So I think that would be my first measure. And and anybody who docks that measure, I think, is just plain wrong. I think it's the most important thing you should be looking at. Secondly, I think there's something about brand strength. In a world where stores are going to be used for fulfilling online orders, whether it's pickup or whether that's uh, shipped to home, there's going to be a lot of pressure on store space. And there's also going to be a move to change assortment. So, you know, bigger pack sizes coming in, decluttering the shelves so that replenishment's easier. And I would hate to be stuck between very strong brands and very well-positioned private label or own label. And I think there are a lot of brands in that position. I think they're going to find it really tough. So I think the second measure is, have I got sufficient brand strength to command a place in the digital assortment and in the in-store assortment going forward? Because I think pressure on assortment is going to be quite high. And then the third area is, are my shoppers happy? Am I creating a good shopping experience? If you look at shopper feedback in grocery in particular and isolate it to sort of one and two star reviews, you see a lot, you hear a lot about the supply chain whether it's about third parties whose offers don't quite match up, whether it's about packaging that isn't fit for purpose and gets damaged through the supply chain, whether it's about aged products. And I think that one of the things I would worry about in any of my relationships with the online business, particularly those that run marketplaces, is is it helping to position my brand well? And I think there's a lot can be done to sort of protect against some of those supply chain and logistics issues that get you see coming up in shopper feedback quite frequently. So I'd certainly look at all three of those things as something to pay attention to, return on investment, brand health, and shopper satisfaction. Excellent. That's good to know. So on this note, I think, you know, your perspective is the foundation is ROI, and that's hard to argue with. It's dollars and cents. It's it's very black and white. And I'm not in opposition with you, but what I find is that there's some channels like Amazon and Instacart come to mind here who offer a really great return on ad spend to advertisers. And you could say that Amazon is getting a little less competitive in some categories as competition increases, but compared to other advertising channels, they offer a really good deal to brands and other channels and retail media platforms don't offer as attractive an ROI. And I think that there is a case to make 
beyond this return on ad spend, let's say just from an advertising sense, and these some intangible benefits that brands will receive from continuing to invest in other channels, even if it's not on paper, offering the best ROI. What's your response to that perspective? Yeah, I think that throughout my career, I've been faced with the proposition of you need to spend money in this area because it's a cost of doing business. And I think that's the bit I push back against most, that I firmly believe that we are all going to be looking for better productivity going forward. And part of that will be uh, spend effectiveness. Now, and I would argue that what can be described as a valuable intangible must be able to land a harder benefit somewhere down the line. So if, if that's better distribution or if that's better presence online or if that's a stronger performance in search, all of those can then be tracked back to what does that deliver in terms of incremental sales and what does it do to my mix and therefore what's the impact on margin. So there are lots of routes to better returns. I wouldn't preclude that for a minute. I just think that there will be more discipline in this area going forward. And partly because I believe that the very smartest retailers will make a big point about it. They will want to attract as much of the media dollars as possible. And to do that, they will want to show the efficacy of their digital marketing services and their online marketing services. So I think it will be driven by uh, need, but also it will be driven by the retailers becoming more active seller of high, sellers of high-value services because they want to attract more than, say, their fair share of those investments. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And I, th- I think, you know, the balanced scorecard element of it is what's key there and not looking at just one metric to rule them all. So at what point in a brand's evolution does it make sense to invest in digital shelf technology like e-fundamentals? So is it more is it still going to be suitable for a startup just getting their footing in retail stores or is it generally going to be most useful to brands with more complex distribution situations? That's a good question. Thank you. We work with brands all over the world. We were currently working in 40 countries and the and therefore, the spread of situations are, is pretty big from, you know, massive businesses with strong teams, say, in the U.S., to markets where the e-commerce opportunity is still relatively small and where the perhaps the company has less resources to service that opportunity. So what we tend to do is, is look at it in those terms. When we're looking at any particular opportunity, we try and assess what's the size of the prize and what's our clients or potential clients' capability and capacity to take it. So as well as having our e-fundamental service, we've got other versions of that designed for smaller markets. So we try and fit the tool to the opportunity and the capacity of the client. I certainly think that the unless you can identify the value that using the tool is going to bring to your proposition, whether you're a startup or a major corporation, then you need to think twice about buying that service. So that would be the conversation I'd have with almost anyone. What I would say in terms of for the most companies, particularly startups, 
they've probably got other areas they need to focus in on. Uh, I mean, I think if I look at some of the, the, the best startups I've seen or the digital first launches, you know, the work that goes on to creating super strong value propositions, communication strategies that are highly relevant and use a language that's incredibly engaging to the potential shopper, those are all the places where I would look first. But it comes down to, in any situation, it's about what's the size of the prize and can the tool and the ways of working that we can establish with the tool, can that release that prize and can that therefore generate the sort of returns that would make sense? I mean, we, we're very proud of our return on investment record. This year, our average return on investment is running around 10. And that's because we have these conversations at the beginning of any meeting with a potential client. Okay, makes sense. And out of interest, what have been some of the key step changes in the evolution of the digital shelf technology over the years? Yeah, I think, I mean, the digital shelf analytics have been around for a while now. Yeah? I mean, some of the businesses that have been in this space have been around 15 years plus. And they've tended to focus on content management and, you know, answering the question, is our content getting through to the shopper online? I think that that has broadened out thanks to companies like eFundamentals who've basically taken a view that there's a lot more you need to do to build a winning proposition in an online retail store. What was very instructive to us when we launched, we were planning our launch in the US, at the beginning of 2020, we did a lot of interviews with senior e-commerce leadership in the US. And some very major businesses were very heavily focused on Amazon perhaps do some work with Walmart, maybe Kroger and Target. But that was kind of the focus. There was a few who were actually pretty much Amazon was it. That's all changed, of course, and that's the biggest evolution. So now every serious grocery retail business in the U.S. is thinking real hard about how to win in the online space. And now the debate has shifted about how do I service, obviously continue to build great business with Amazon, Walmart, et cetera, but then how do I service all the other players that I need to be working with, collaborating with and, and advising, HEB, Giant Eagle, the regional players, the divisions, various divisions of Kroger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a huge change. And the other piece for me is, is that one thing that is now very firmly on the agenda is that because the online order generation is having such an impact in physical stores and particularly on availability, is cracking the code on how to manage the in-store situation so that it has good availability and that the promotions that are run online and the activity online isn't simply driving out stock. So there's a lot of focus on, on the availability agenda, rightly so. And finally, what we do see coming more and more is a need to join data sets together. So adding the sort of causal data that we have, which is just phenomenally deep and rich, to sales data, to market share data, and then figuring out how to do the data science that will start to really clarify which bits of the total service, if you like, are working. Where do we need to spend more? Where should we spend less? So there's a lot of work going on in, in tying these various data sets together to get much better clarity on where are the levers that can fuel profitable growth, both at the brand level and the category level. I think that's really exciting. So that's something that's underway? 
right now? Yeah, you can see you can see it happening. You see you can see a lot of thought going into. I would say even in the best companies, it's still early days, but it's definitely a direction of travel. Hmm. And what else is coming down the pike? I think the more and more people are going to want digital shelf analytics services and any services being consumed by the frontline managers to be not just providing insights, but providing a route to action. So moving towards uh, closed loop solutions and the integration of technologies, I think is going to be quite important. So I, I see people are looking more and more for answers as well as insights. And I think that's something that we're very interested in working hard on. Hmm. And so tell us a little bit, we've got some snippets into eFundamentals and what you do. Tell us a little bit more about what, what solutions you offer to, to brands. Yeah, when we built eFundamentals, we basically wanted to equip frontline sales and marketing managers to work effectively in the only channel. So, and to answer pretty straightforward questions. So is our content getting cut through with shoppers? Are we easy to find on the category shelf and in search? Are we pricing and promoting effectively versus competition? What can we learn from what shoppers are are telling us about our products and our competitor products, plus the supply chain that's in there? And then finally, is our category strategy getting executed online? And we've set out to do that by building a, a service that is highly intuitive and designed to everything we put in has to pass a very simple set of tests. First of all, is the insight valuable? If you do something about it, will you make money? Secondly, is it actionable? Is this something that's practically you can do something with? And then thirdly, is it relevant to the person's job role? Because we find a lot of a lot of folks are just you know massively time strapped, and the last thing they want is a lot of insight that they can't utilize. So we find we have to target our insights to individual job roles, and we're very good at that. So. And then we set about helping companies to not only use our technology, but also establish ways of working that allow them to repeat the successes time after time, take the learning from one country, put it into another, so you get advantages of scale. All the time with this focus on generating a strong return on investment. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us, John. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation, Kerry. I appreciate it. Enjoyed meeting you.